0: Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. We'll be speaking about Fear is the Enemy of Success. This program is dedicated with love by Caroline medlin Roat to her parents Norma and Henry Rawatt that they enjoy good health and a long life. Thank you for that. The two words, fear and success, always good to dissect the words we speak about because often we get trapped by terminology, stereotypes that don't mean much because they just become mechanical. So I want to talk about, let's start with success. Everybody in life is looking for some form of success. What does success mean? Is success making a lot of money? Is success... Actualizing your potential is success that others recognize your values and your uh, qualities and your skills. Success has many meanings for different people. And then, of course, the word fear. We all have the word fear in our lives. It could be a fear of physical things, fear of uh, theft, of death, fear of uh, being hurt, there's psychological fears, there's insecurities. So, we can't talk about, obviously, every aspect, but I think when we speak about success in general, meaning to be able to move forward in life and not be paralyzed and not be stuck, what are the reasons why we actually do not move forward? And maybe we have a great plan, great dreams and aspirations. What, what? Let's go through the usual suspects. What would be the reasons that block us from moving forward? So, the list is a pretty uh, common one. Let's start with, uh, not in any particular order, there's the element of laziness. We like to take it easy. We're comfortable in our comfort zones. And why uh, exert ourselves more than necessary? Unless there's a strong motivating factor. A strong motivating factor could be, yes, a, a, uh, uh, money, it could be recognition, it could be competition. There are many different reasons, but there is a natural lethargic state that a human being can fall into, which becomes some form of procrastination. We still need to understand why we procrastinate, we just do, and what gets someone out of, jolts them out of that position, is some incentive that would motivate them. But that's obviously not the only reason, especially if you dig deeper. Because, for example, as I just said, if you are incentivized and you have a motivation to move, the motivation is stronger than the status quo or the inclination and temptation to just procrastinate or just to take it easy. So you see that there's another force inside of us that if you push it, it can overcome that procrastinating side, that lazy side or that uh, comfortable side within us. Another thing that concord that can stop someone from moving forward could be fear. fear of failure. It could be fear of success. It could be fear of the unknown. It could be fear of how we will be judged. How will we be looked at since we're making a move. This way you don't make a move. There's nothing to be afraid of because you have what you had yesterday. It may not be great, but at least it's not ruffling any feathers. It's not rocking the boat. So there's elements of fear. Going deeper into fear could also be fear of our own, as I mentioned, deeper insecurities. We're not confident that we could succeed. So we take, a, we take an attitude, which is, you know what, maybe I shouldn't even really try too much. On a deeper level, you can say the fear of, of failure, which means if I don't do it, I've never failed. So I don't have to see myself as a failure. This way, I could always say, I didn't try, or I didn't try hard enough. That's also a factor. But there are more reasons. Some of it is how we're wired, which means some of us are very conformist and pleasers. And this is different than comfort zone, the first point I made. And we uh, like to go along with the herd mentality and just the way it is. Not because we're necessarily lazy. We could be very industrious and very uh, productive and very driven. But we don't like to do something different. Now, is that connected to fear? Not necessarily. It it could be connected. It could also be because we like to go along with what people are doing, like followers. Part of a team, that's what's being done. Let's do it. You don't uh, shake, you don't challenge uh, authority. You don't challenge what you're told. You go along with things. And that, you have your security, meaning your financial security. Your boss tells you this is what we're doing. You do it. What other factors can we throw into the pot here? I'm sure there are others. I'll just mention some random other factors that can cause a person of not really succeeding or actualizing their potential. It could also be ignorance. Ignorance means you don't know what your potential is. You're always, as I mentioned, someone that went along what your parents told you, what your educators told you, and you never were allowed to speak your voice. So you don't even know that you have a voice. You don't even know you have more potential than you have. Sometimes we fall on it. Sometimes things happen in life that cause us a trauma, a loss, God forbid, or some other strong, powerful event that in a way wakes us up and we realize something's missing. So there could also be that ignorance. Now, I don't want to go through exhaustive analysis of all the reasons people don't succeed. I'm obviously focusing on the fear element and demonstrating that it's not just fear takes on different shapes and forms. It could even take on the shape of procrastination. So let's analyze the word fear. And one of the things that we most human beings love is acceptance. We're social creatures. As children, we do do not like being rejected. When you see a child being ostracized or in some way treated like a pariah, it's very disturbing, especially for that child. I remember as children we played musical chairs. I assume they still do. And it always bothered me because there was always one child left out. They would take away a chair, play the music, and then you had to grab a chair. There was always one more, one chair less than the amount of people, so one person was out. Then they took another chair away, and another person was out, until who would remain to be the last person in the chair. I understand the competition part, but it always bothered me that it's like pushing someone aside. And I remember even one kid in my class who was like always slow, and I actually what I did was I was slower than him intentionally, so you should have this chair. He didn't get he didn't. Go through many rounds, Not not everyone had that compassion, but I did. And I've always felt that way. When you see somebody stand out, it's like very psychologically demoralizing, debilitating. Whether parents do it, whether educators do it. Now I understand times people want to discipline someone and say, you know, time out, you're it, get out of the room. I've always found that to be the worst possible punishment, even worse than other punishments because it attacks the very value that we have. And one of the things we value is when we are acknowledged, when we're recognized, when we're validated. And invalidation and being ignored is a very painful experience, even if it's done one time, but especially if it's more than once, because then it becomes a a voice inside of you that says you're not worth it, you're not valuable enough. Now this isn't about arrogance, it's about cherishing the dignity of a human being. And that is one of the deepest fears that we have when we don't have that, because in a sense it's invalidating our very existence. Now, I'm not suggesting that every time something happens, someone criticizes you or something else happens, it's a result of invalidation, but invalidation is a very real thing in people's lives. And when you grow up with that type of lack of confidence, because you've been criticized or you've been undermined or you've been told that you're not worth it, or you not just as he told, body language and other behavior of a form of absenteeism or abandonment. So when we grow into adults, and we have to make decisions, and we want to succeed, that voice slows us down, if not paralyzes and and locks us altogether. And it can change the entire trajectory of your life. You may not even take on certain projects, and certain uh, responsibilities, and certain opportunities, because of that fear, and it's important to identify because fear is one of those worst diseases because it's invisible. I mean, disease as in a psychological. It's invisible. What does fear look like? Can you describe fear? You can't describe it, but you can describe its effect. You can describe its effects. Its effects are hesitation, tentativeness. excuses and reasons not to proceed or not to be involved. It takes on all shapes, and especially if you're an intelligent person, you create all kinds of smoke screens. You cover your tracks. So no one should see that fear. You find good excuses, good reasons not to commit. It affects relationships. It affects the ability, the natural courage that a human being deserves to be able to dare to try things. You could even use the word risk. I don't like risk because risk itself is a fearful world. There's risks involved. But yes, to dare to try something new. Children have that innately and naturally. Look, once a child begins to crawl, even when they're not crawling, even when they're in the crib and they can't move yet, they look at their eyes, looking at things, things moving. Everything is fascinating. Everything is an adventure. Children start crawling around. You need to put stuff up, the, the outlets and other things to make sure they don't put fingers where they shouldn't. Lock up the kitchen cabinets, especially the lower ones, because exploring—they're exploring their universe. They have no fears. The first fears they pick up is when parents tell, them, "No, don't do that." No, don't do that. Now it's important sometimes to tell children that. But think about it—they're first developing those fears. Some fears are healthy. Don't put your hand in fire, God forbid. Don't cross the street alone. But what happens when those fears become that are more uh, more superimposed that are not necessarily healthy? Parents and their own fears or their own insecurities imposing them on their children. Questioning, second-guessing, invalidating. Then those fears become forces in our lives to the point they become second nature. And they will affect every decision you make. If you're smart, you cover it. And if not, it becomes obvious. People have commitment issues, whether it's in relationships, whether it's uh, different projects to be involved in, how, do, how many of you ask yourself this question? If you right now, whatever your work is, whatever your job is, or whatever the environment you're in, and your, super, your superior says to you, who is ready to volunteer? Not, uh, not, not, uh, uh, it's not incumbent. It's not a, uh, what's the word? It's an optional. It's optional. Who's ready to volunteer for a new exciting project? And they describe the, the challenges involved, The unknowns involved, would you just raise your hand? Some would, and some wouldn't. I'm perfectly comfortable with what I'm doing. Now, if there's a big incentive, they say if you're involved, this is what you'll gain. Okay, the gains may overweigh your concerns and fears. But generally speaking, there's some people that just gravitate to what is known. The road more traveled on, not the road less traveled on. And the same thing can be, I give often the question, another question, which has overlap. You go to a party, you go to an event. Do you gravitate to people you know or to people that you don't know? Most people gravitate to people they know. It's more comfortable. Others like to meet new people. I know those people already. Not that you're ignoring them, but you're here to meet new people. These are often signs of fear, less fear, more fear not black and white. It's not always that way. There are many people who are real socialites and they meet everybody, but there's a full of fear. But that's one of their uh, shtick that they do. But there's an element sometimes related to being more comfortable than being challenged. And those fears often can be traced, not just to procrastination or to the other factors I said earlier, but to an element of second-guessing yourself. So it's actually an opportunity. When you, you see yourself rejecting something, a commitment of some sort. And I'm not talking about something that's blatantly dangerous or destructive, which you should reject. Something that you could question. Talk to a friend, and it may be an indicator of a voice inside you, because as I said, fear is invisible. So you're not going to see it actively. You'll see it in, its, in your reaction. Just like when a person sees something that's disturbing you, like recoil and move away. That's fear expressing itself in a certain body language. The same thing is in rejecting or avoiding challenge. And we all have it. There are times I need to make a phone call to call someone because we need support, financial support, to dedicate or sponsor a program or an event or something larger. There's always hesitation. You know, you sometimes say, maybe I hope the person doesn't pick up the phone. And I'm admitting it. It's embarrassing, frankly. And then there are times you just say, you know, close your eyes, and say, bite the bullet and do what you have to do. It's important. The importance overweighs the fear. Now, I always think to myself, what's the fear? What am I afraid of? A person may say no. You say no, so you move to another person. There is an element of rejection. We don't like to be rejected. It invalidates somewhat who we are. And I consider myself a confident person. So that doesn't mean confident people don't have their fears. Everybody's got their stuff especially when dealing with others. So recognizing it is vital, because that helps you understand yourself and helps you somewhat defang the enemy, defang the fear, by seeing it, seeing outright. You know what? Stop with the excuses. The reason you want, don't want this to happen or you don't want it is because you're afraid. You're afraid of the rejection. You're afraid of other unknowns. And it's more comfortable to be in your comfort zone, let's be honest. So, in this discussion, we need to, what we need to do is dissect not just what fear is, but where fear comes from. Because let's say, indeed, a person, I'll talk one extreme, a person growing up in an environment, in a home, where they were invalidated. There are going to be many fears. And they're not even necessarily real fears. It could be that people that respect you, and they recognize your skills and talents and have confidence in you, and you don't have confidence in yourself. Because deep inside of you, You say, maybe I'm not really that good. Maybe I'm not worth it. There were others that criticized me. So if that's a situation and you're able to recognize it, how do you deal with it? To just say, I'm going to just fight it all the time, there are times that will not work. There are times you have to go more step by step. What does that mean? This is the approach of divide and conquer. And win small battles first before you go for the big ones. So a person like that, I would advise, take upon yourself a project that may not be overwhelming, but it's more than you usually do. It's like a baby step, but more than your comfort zone. That's how you acclimate yourself. It's exactly like if you want to run a 22-mile marathon, and right now you can't even run a mile, you're not running a 22-mile marathon overnight. Why don't you just make it a goal that next six months, I'm going to run a mile. I'm going to run two miles. Then make a goal that you're going to run it in less time, faster. And what do you do? You slowly extend it, two miles to three miles in this amount of minutes. And then, you know what? After a while, conditioning yourself, you can end up running the marathon. Psychologically and emotionally, it's exactly the same thing. You don't just say, you know what? I'm an adult. Enough with these fears. I'm going out on a limb and so on. Usually, it's going to, uh, it's going to backfire. What does that mean? It means will you, will you not try anything? You will. But you're going to get to a point where you may get hurt because you went too far. So the first step is take things step by step. Try to move outside of your comfort zone in a way that you can deal with. And then you say, you know what? I stretched it that much. Let me stretch a little more. That's far more effective and far more sustainable is the key word. It's sustainable because you built it. It's like building the con- conditioning yourself. You are building the momentum, you're building yourself up to the point that you can do more. The stamina, the strength, the consistency. So that is what you deal with any type of fear. But the first step, as I said, is acknowledgement. Half the cure of a problem is awareness of it. If you deny it and you dress it up and say, no, I'm a very courageous person, I'm confident, I do everything, everything comes my way. I'm ready to take on. You may be deluding yourself. Maybe you feel good saying it, but it's not necessarily true. I'm not here to challenge anyone. If it is true, by all means, go so go for it. But often it's not necessarily completely accurate. It's our perception. We'd like to see ourselves that way. So first thing is acknowledgement. Second step is step by step. Acclimating yourself. Taking upon yourself. Okay. I'll swim one lap. Now I'll swim a second lap, I'll swim a third lap, and so on. When you do that, what happens is slowly that fear dissipates because, you see, I did it. I was able to do it. As a writer, I can tell you, there's a lot of fear. I don't know if I'd use the word fear. Some people call it writer's block. You know, something blocks, but I think it's sometimes connected to fear. It's the fear of the immersion, how much it's going to take of you, and you say, you know what, I'll do it tomorrow, next day. So not necessarily a fear of being judged by others or fear of invalidation. It could be just a fear of knowing what you have to, you're getting involved in. So there too, the approach is step by step. Designate time. Record something. It's one of the tricks I always tell people. You can't find yourself writing it or typing it. Record it. Record it in your phone. Record it and make a voice note. voice note. Get it transcribed and then you look at it. You're not going to like it and you start editing it. But it's for, you forced it to paper through speaking. Because speaking is easier than to write. So there are methods. And you'll see all the methods that work are the ones that are not attacking it head on. You usually lose those battles, especially when it comes to fear, fear-related issues. What you, you approach it by doing something that you're capable of doing. A little more than you usually would. And suddenly you open up a new channel. I don't know if suddenly, but with time. Now, let's talk about other types of fears. There's an expression they say, they say it comes from the French, that the perfect is the enemy of the good. When people say, no, I'm not ready to release it, it's not good enough, you keep trying to perfect it and perfect it. The perfect is the enemy of the good. Release it. Whatever it is that you built, you've written let it be beta, as Google popularized, that things are always beta, they're always in transition, always getting better, and then improve it. That too can be related to somewhat. Now you say perfectionism has to do with fear? I don't want not necessarily, but it could be partially that you need it to be perfect because if not, it will be criticized, even criticized by you. So there's a fear of lack of perfection. You really didn't do it the best possible way. So what's the attitude and approach? Do it in a good way. And then perfect and refine and tweak. Obviously we're not talking about a project that if it's not on that higher standard can compromise the whole project. You're not going to open up a new building if you make sure that the foundation and all the floors were built right. You just don't say, okay, it's good enough. There's situations that need much more than what you've done. But I'm talking about most situations. That's not the case. So it's a similar idea of a step-by-step approach. Now, some people say, listen, success is important to me, but it's not that important that it's going to override all my fears and inhibitions and insecurities and all the other things I mentioned. As a matter of fact, you go further. Success is, uh, I'm not that arrogant. I don't have such a large ego. I don't care if I'm not that successful. Now, that's a hard argument to argue because some people say, that's how I'm wired. And it even has a tinge of, or more than a tinge of, humility in it. But there's another aspect which is important here. And that is success isn't always what you want to succeed at. It's what you were sent here to succeed at. If you are blessed with certain gifts and skills and talents, and you're blessed with a family, you're blessed with students or whatever it is that you do, people who listen to you, people who are influenced by you, people who care about you and you care about them, it's not just whether you want to succeed. You need to succeed because you were sent here to succeed. It's not just about you, whether you're going to choose I'm driven or I'm not driven. And that's where the real power comes from overcoming fear. So I'm not taking this to another dimension. I want to share with you something, a Kabbalistic thought from mysticism. It's actually from the book of Zohar. And that's why it's connected to this time period. In the Jewish calendar... Which divide the week is the year, of course, is divided into 52 weeks. In the Jewish calendar, every week corresponds to a chapter in the Bible, in the Torah. This week's chapter discusses the story of Moses confronting Pharaoh, let my people go to serve God. And he's speaking in the name of God. The classic Exodus story the bondage, the exile, and Exodus from Egypt, which has already become popularized in modern. Contemporary literature and film and so on. Ten Commandments in the early 60s. And later, Pharaoh, the king of the Jews, the king of the Hebrews, the different uh, cartoons or storytelling narratives and so on. There's a tremendous lesson in this confrontation with Pharaoh and Moses. Moses, of course, is the archetype representing freedom, representing what God wants of of all human beings to be free. Pharaoh represents the ego. He wants to enslave, wants control, wants power. This isn't the first time, and this isn't the only time in history this happened. This may be the first documented narrative, but the confrontation is a fascinating one. It's not one confrontation. It goes on with the story of the plagues. I'm not going to go through all the details, but one powerful statement. God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and speak in my name. Let my people go so they can serve me. Pharaoh, of course, rejects time and again. Why would he he listen to this God? I don't know your God. I am God. The river Nile is our God. It irrigates the fields. And this goes on and on, confrontation, which, of course, if you think about it as a confrontation within our own voices, two voices within us, the great serpent is what Pharaoh is called, which is that powerful, aggressive, and sometimes even cruel warrior And then there's the Moses, the divine voice, the gentle voice of reason, of justice, of kindness, of compassion. And there's a conflict. Then comes suddenly a chapter, this chapter, where instead of God saying, go to Pharaoh, it says, come to Pharaoh. Boy, El Pare, come to Pharaoh. So the Zohar, that classic mystical work, Immediately jumps on that word and says, "What is the what come? It should it say go? Why suddenly it's saying come to Pharaoh?" And the Zohar fa- has a fascinating answer: that when, Pharaoh, when Moses was confronting Pharaoh, the great serpent, each confrontation was going into a deeper dimension of this powerful alter ego representing everything and antithetical to everything that Moses represented, the kindness, the freedom, the human dignity. As he was going deeper into this abyss of his dark heart, the heart of darkness within Pharaoh, and how low a human being can fall, he became fearful. He became fearful. It says that he, he stepped back in fear afraid to enter into this inner sanctum of such darkness, such ego, such arrogance, such power, but selfish power. And Pharaoh was no small person. He was a sorcerer, he was a wise man, but he used it all for his own self-aggrandizement and for his own building himself. It wasn't for a higher cause. So the Zora says that's what God tells him. Since you're afraid and I recognize your fear, boy, come with me. Till now I've told you to go. I've given you the power to go. Now, you're not going alone. Come with me. I enter with you. So don't be afraid. I'm holding you by your hand. I'm walking side by side. You have my power. Now, the God had power before as well, but that power was enough from a distance, so to speak. I instruct you. You're going by my instruction. I'm giving you the strength to do it. I'm now going with you. In those deeper places of fear and insecurity, I go with you. So why doesn't God go with him all the time? Because God wants us to do what we can do with our effort. But then when it gets darker, and we're entering into the inner darker crevices and recesses of our soul, those shadows, the shadows that come from abuse, from hurt, from invalidation, from all the tragic things that parents can do to children, that educators can do, the system can do, that we do to each other, Others do. We do to ourselves. We're not going alone. When you go deeper and the fear is strong enough to block you and you say, I can't do it, even though you're a Moses and you have that beautiful divine power, some, some force goes with you. And that ultimately empowers you to overcome any type of fear because you're not going alone. Remember, I mentioned that fear is often being alone in this world, no one cares. I'm isolated, being judged. The counterforce to fear is knowing you're not going alone. You're not alone. You're never alone. But especially in the darkest moments, you are carried. You're accompanied. You have a partner. And it's critical to recognize that. And ask people, the whole basis of the 12-step program, people in healing, they'll all say, like the first of the 12 steps that I recognize that I'm not in control, there's a higher power. And I surrender to that higher power. Surrender is a strong word, but there's another way to look at it. That higher power is with you. And as it goes with you, there's much less to fear. You're not going alone. Very often, in speaking with people, especially children who are abandoned in some way or another, emotionally, psychologically, the challenge is how to help them, convince them, in a, I mean, in a sincere way, in an honest way, that they're not alone. They say, I am alone. My mother was not there for me. My father was not there for me. Don't tell me I'm not alone. I am alone. And you have to struggle. And it's an emotional cry. It could be an adult, but they're crying like a child. I'm, not al- I'm alone. I was left alone in my room. I was left alone in the dark. I'm afraid. The goal here is not to say, don't be, not, don't be foolish, don't be childish. There's no monster in your room. The goal is to be there for them. Hold their hand. Love. Love. Boy, come with me. You're not going alone. I'm with you. You don't just say, okay, go ahead. There's nothing there. Just open the closet, you'll find out there's no boogie monster. Boy, come. We are partners. We walk hand in hand, side by side. Not you in front and me in the back, or me in the front and you in the back together. It's a tremendous lesson, psychological lesson in life. All of us need that type of companion. Sometimes it's just sort of a physical companion, an actual human being. Sometimes it's a mentor or a therapist or a guide or a counselor or a coach. And sometimes it's a spiritual companion. Your soul, recognizing your soul, recognizing the divine force in your soul, recognizing the God that's walking with you and that gives you strength. And that sometimes when it's it so, seems so hopeless and in such despair, that is the time when you need that trust more than ever. It's when all else fails. It's like someone... Debating, someone said, how could you believe in God after the Holocaust? Look what God allowed to happen, the death of so many innocent people. And the Holocaust survivor responded, how could I believe in God? How could I believe in man after the Holocaust? What man perpetrated, only I have now is God. Very different perspective. Because yes, you can't rely on a man or a woman. Because they're human beings and they're flawed and they're uh, fickle. And they're... Impermanent, and they go through vicissitudes. They have their own issues. We do look for such friends that love us unconditionally. But ultimately, a person who has that unconditional connection is because there's a divine element in that. Come with me. And that coming gives a tremendous amount of strength. So you may say, one second, I'm not a religious person. I don't read the Bible. I don't know what this Torah is. No problem. I'm not trying to propose that at all trying to suggest that every one of us, whoever you may be, you can call yourself an atheist, an agnostic, a believer, a non whatever it is. Everybody has a force inside of you that gives you courage and strength. And it's not only because others are telling you you're strong. Yes, it's true that if parents gave us validation and confidence and self-esteem, it would give us a big head start. But it's not from them that we get our confidence. Our confidence comes because we, are, we matter by virtue of our births. The fact that we were placed here, that there's a divine power, that you were created in the divine image. You're indispensable. Parents can nurture that. It's like anything. Your body is a healthy body born, but it needs to be fed. It needs to be nourished. They nurture and nourish it, and they validate it. But even if we don't have that, there's always the boy. There's always come with me. Because you have it inside deep, deep inside you. You need to learn about it. You need to recognize it. You need to recognize the voices, as I mentioned, the naysayer voices that tell you you can't do it, that don't give you that vote of confidence, that tell you, oh, yeah, the cynical voice. But then there's the other voice. And yes, it's good to have a friend. It's good to have a parent. It's good to have someone that loves you. It's good to have a spouse. I don't just mean good as a a weak word. I mean necessary. But not because you're depending on them alone. They help you help yourself. In the classic words of Hillel the sage, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? It all begins. You. You have that power. But if you're only for yourself, sometimes hard to access. So you need others that help support, help complement, and help add things that you yourself cannot accomplish. So there's a lot of meanings in that second half of the phrase. But you have it inside of you. Now, what, how, how, how I would wish, and I just share this from my heart, many people I've met, to be able to convey to them that message in a way that resonates. You have everything inside of you. You're a pure soul. I don't care what you've experienced in life. I don't care what you've done. Now, Of course we care. And of course it may have not helped our out. But still, there's that flickering ember inside of you. There's that pilot flame that always remains intact. And it goes with you everywhere. So you really do not have much to fear. Now, does this easily, it's easier said than done, even for myself. But it helps. It helps because then you say to yourself, I'm not going alone. I'm doing this for a cause. I'm doing this for a higher purpose. God goes with me. And as he goes with me, there's an element of love in there, an element of a vote of confidence, and a vote of, that and and an infusion of courage and fortitude to forge ahead, despite fears, despite unknowns, despite all kinds of risks that you can articulate. You forge ahead, obviously you do it in an informed way. You plan, you strategize, you don't just jump into things just because they're coming your way. How would the world look? How would each of us look? if we're able to access that voice inside of us. And that's, of course, the theme of this discussion. Fear is the enemy of success. Success on every level, spiritual level, material level, famil- familial level, social level, entertainment level, fear. Fear is that dark spot that does not let you connect to that voice. Using the words of the Kabbalists, It's the symptom, that great concealment, that you think you're alone. You're not alone. Now you could say, Moses didn't know that. Of course he knew it. In his mind he knew it. And in the earlier stages he was able to do it that way. But then as he saw darker and darker, even the great Moses didn't doubt himself because he knew God is with him. But he needed to elicit. He needed to tremble to show this is not easy. And relatively speaking, I need your help. And God responded, boy, I come with you. Don't be afraid. So the fear of Moses, obviously, is a much, much more subtle and higher fear than all of us. But it's still there to teach us. We all have it in some way, in some sublime way, sometimes in a more overt way. But there's a response. There's a boy, come, come with me. And we will enter there. Not only will we survive, we will thrive. We'll be able to draw out from even the darkest abyss of Pharaoh, great power. And that's what happened. Pharaoh is long gone. His children are long gone. His nation is long gone. And here are we, the children of Moses, and the children of the other tribes, the children of Israel. We made it out. We became stronger for it. We became a nation that still exists, not just exists, thrives in many ways throughout the world. That all due to the fact that a man who trembled and was afraid and was responded, to, come with me. And that gave us the strength that no matter what, what issues we ever, what challenges we ever faced, fear would not dictate and define our lives. Not that there isn't much to be fearful of. There was, I mean, thank God today, but there was a time fearful in Nazi Europe, in Stalinist Russia, in Chomnitsky's pogroms, in the 16th century, 17th century, In the Inquisition, and the other attacks throughout history, the Crusades, destruction of the Temple and the First Temple, and dealing with the Persians and dealing with the Romans and dealing with the Babylonians and dealing with the Syrians and the Greeks, and ultimately also the Egyptians, of course there's much to be afraid of. But boy, we never go alone. We're not alone. And that divine aspect is in your soul. Your soul is there with you. Your soul is not man-made. Men are afraid of other men, or of other man-made weapons or forces. But what about when it's not coming from a man? It's coming from a divine place, which is part of who you are. So the embrace of your divine dimension is the counterforce to fear, which in turn empowers you to have success in anything you do. And I say this to all my friends. This is not required. You have to be a required religious commitment here. Not that that can't help, but that's not what I'm discussing right now. I'm discussing connecting to a voice inside of you that is beyond the mortal, and therefore beyond fear. Now, will it completely control your life? That's up to you. But slowly, slowly, as I said, step by step, as you embrace that dimension in you, you embrace a counter-force to fear in the true sense of the word. And try it out, and you'll see what I mean. You wake up in the morning... That little meditation, that short meditation. Thank you for returning my soul to me. Become aware of that which is superhuman inside of you. That which is divine inside of you. That transcendent voice and power inside of you. That is the counterforce to all the things that drive fear in our hearts. Because at the end of the day, as I said, fear comes from the unknown. F- fear comes from the man-made. Fear comes from a reality that's subject, That's temporary impermanent, so there's a lot to fear because you may not be around for too long. Connect to something eternal. Connect to that voice, to that transcendent connection. And then there's something that goes with you, wherever you go. It travels with you, through thick and thin, through the light and through the dark, through the joy and the pain. It's always there with you, to remind you and to give you strength that you're not alone. You are not alone. This is part of the mission of the Meaningful Life Center. To tell you, you're not alone. We're all in this together. We're each indispensable musical notes in a large symphony. And your note must be played for it to be complete. It's not optional. And that note is inside that spirit and soul inside of you. And boy, you have forces that travel with you to help you actualize yourself. To help you find that voice. I repeat often... Oliver Wendell Holmes' poem, The Voiceless, that tragic line, Alas, to those that die with their song still inside them. Alas, to those that die with their song still inside them. But then the question is, what do we do next? The answer is, that song is not going alone. The song inside of you has a force that protects it and that travels with it. So you do your part. Open that door Allow your voice a little expression and the divine that walks with it, that walks with you will give your voice substance, will give it wings to spread wings and soar that you can really express that inner voice inside of you. That's the story. We're here as partners. We need you, you need us. Maybe that didn't come out across as well that well when I said well, you need us. I don't mean in a negative way. I mean we complement each other. We're partners. So please join us in this mission, in this journey, this glorious journey. Anything we can do for you, please let us know. Share if you like what you're hearing. Comment, suggest, support, and let us together truly create that majestic, and yes, glorious symphony, that transcends all fears because it's driven by something that is greater than fear and even courage. A force that's an indomitable force, an indestructible one, a one that can endure and thrive through any situation and only get stronger. Everyone be blessed. May that voice in you be blessed. You do not travel alone. Come with me. Thank you very much. We are here at MeaningfulLife.com. Every Wednesday we have this live program with many, many other programs. Please check it out at MeaningfulLife.com. Subscribe, like, share. And we will see each other shortly for the next program. And please stay in touch. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.